Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Avalanche. Avalanche solves the biggest challenges facing Ethereum's developer and decentralized finance or DeFi community. That is velocity, security, and time to finality under three seconds on the first decentralized network resistance to 51% attacks. With complete support for the Ethereum virtual machine and all of the tools that have fueled DeFi's growth to date, including MetaMask, Web3.js, MyEtherWallet, Remix, and many more coming, Avalanche will be at parity with Ethereum for DeFi developers that want a much faster network without the scaling issues holding them back. Get started today building without limits on Avalanche by going to chat.avax.network. That is chat.avax.network. Thanks. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome to Hashing It Out. I'm your host, Jay Harrell. And I'm your host, John Marlin. Today on our show, we have Max Sklar from Foursquare. Um, Max, could you give us a quick intro about yourself and let us know what you're doing at Foursquare? Hi, John. Hi, Jay. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I've worked at Foursquare, well, basically since 2011. There was a little bit of time that I spent away. Uh, but now I'm sort of on the innovation labs team, the labs team. Um, I'm not exactly sure what our official name is, but basically we are a small group, three, four, five people, depending on how you count, who are just uh, tasked with using Foursquare's location technology to build cool consumer products and, um, and put them out into the wild. And I love this team because we could just build things quickly. We can just do very quick prototypes and we don't have to worry about uh, the, um, you know, we don't have to worry too much about the business case or the, the short-term money concerns, which I did have to worry about on some teams at Foursquare, which weren't bad teams either. But I love the idea of just being able to build. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, so maybe we'll, the, the question we ask on every episode is, is just what, what has brought you, what brings you into the blockchain and crypto space and, and what's your backstory, uh, your Genesis story with that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been interested in this space for a long time. Uh, I think, I, I think it just goes with my interest a in like emerging technology, trying to figure out, uh, you know, back in, in the, early part of, of the last decade, like 2010s, I felt like I totally missed the, the, the uh, move to mobile in terms of consumer applications. And I was like, all right, you know what? I don't want to miss things anymore in the future. So let me start to make sure that I'm always reading up on emerging technology and what's going on and what people are building and what people are working on. Um, and then I cover that, you know, I cover that in the local maximum. I cover that on my podcast as well. Um, and also, like, my interest in sort of just 
human innovation and individual innovation, maybe I'll put it that way. Like, I feel like monopolies are, uh, they get us into trouble. I don't want to declare like all monopolies evil or anything, but I feel like we have nowadays, of course, we have sort of our social media, big tech monopolies that are causing uh, huge problems. And it's sort of a, a one size fits all. And the, I don't even want to get into those problems. When I say there's problems with Facebook, I bet everyone agrees that there's problems with Facebook, but people disagree on what the problems are. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's problems with our money and our financial system. Don't forget, you know, that's a monopoly too. So um, I looked at Bitcoin maybe in, uh, I don't know, the, the the early part of the last decade. I wasn't like, um, I wasn't like the first, one of the first people to look into it, but definitely people in, in software in New York, we're talking about it 2013, 2014. And it was really interesting kind of seeing all the crazy things that were going on. And we we're kind of thinking, well, well, what is this stuff? You know, is it, um, is it really anonymous? Is it, uh, can someone hack into it? And, you know, those questions were, I'm, people still ask those questions, but those questions were very un, uncertain back then. Like, you know, I, I, now I have a pretty ironclad guarantee uh, because I understand the technology and I see the track record, you know, people still ask, well, why can't someone just take money from my uh, Bitcoin account? You could replace it, obviously, with, you know, Ethereum or, or any other currency. Why can't someone just who's mining take something from my account and put it in their account? You know, people don't understand that well how the technology works. And even once you understand the technology it works, you're like, hmm, I still think there could be a trick to it. Because if you think about it, you know, even the Ethereum smart contracts, sometimes there's a trick to it and someone figures it out. I mean, look at the 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 DAO. Uh, what was that, 2017, where there was a um, Ethereum smart contract and it grew really big and then somebody figured out how to extract the money from there. So um, it's uh, it's 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 got it, just to think about like what my thought processes were back in those days to what they are now. It's uh sort of changed completely. I guess I'm so much more confident now in the space. It's so much more stable, even though it's maybe looks much more unstable now to people from the outside. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So you've been watching it for quite a while. Um, so it's now, you know, past the next uh, halving. And so yeah, I guess big it's deal. time to look at Bitcoin again. Um, so I, I get the sense that you're looking at Bitcoin a little more than Ethereum. Is there, say, a reason for this? Well, um, I don't. I, I wouldn't say that I'm looking at Bitcoin more than Ethereum. I mean, the first crypto uh, episode I had in the local maximum was episode five with Christian Lundqvist, who is, uh, you know, one of the smartest engineers in in Ethereum, and we talked all about smart contracts. And I think that. It's. I, I, I think the only thing that I'm kind of waiting for is some application that I can kind of understand and wrap my head around. It's not like I can't understand the applications. It's just I don't see examples of people using them in the you know in in more than kind of an academic setting or more than a, the trial setting. But I really do see people using Bitcoin in terms of just trying to preserve wealth or, you know, just as, as an investment, you know, a, a lot of people who wouldn't have touched this stuff many years ago are asking, you know, well, you know, can I invest it in the, uh, it, you know, in, in GBTC, can I invest in, in grayscale trust on, on, on the stock market? And, you know, um, so I just see 
more, uh, I, I feel like people need to get Bitcoin first before they can go in Ethereum. That's maybe the order that I went in. And that's the order that most people went in. Because if you can't get how the main cryptocurrency works, then you're not going to get uh, very far beyond that. Uh, certainly. I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent in saying that if you're going to look at this stuff, I think reading the the 10 page white paper, which is still one of the best pieces of um, technical literature out there. Um, even if you don't understand math, it's very clearly written, really does help. Um, but you mentioned something about uh, Ethereum more in a academic setting. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Well, I mean, I, I just think, I, maybe I just haven't seen it, but I haven't seen any applications that have blown me away uh, just yet. Although I understand the idea behind the smart contract, I think there are going to be lots of applications that are widely used, but I just haven't looked into it recently. Do you have, like, uh, I mean, yeah, so there, there's definitely, I, I guess, like, the, the, the response to that that I'll give for most of the Ethereum community is, DeFi, why aren't you paying yeah. attention to DeFi? Um, DeFi is a big, big word right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a big word. It's uh, it's clogging up our uh, the blockchain. Um, so people are definitely using it. Um, I can I can see like my back like I'm not I don't know multiple layers of of financial derivatives are a bit beyond me. I'm I, I'm starting to find them interesting from more just from a design perspective. Uh, but I'm I'm curious like if we you know thinking about real world use cases for smart contracts like uh, is there something you know, that you could see Foursquare doing with it, making use of it. And, and maybe for background, you could, you could also just tell us a little bit about like what Foursquare is, is up to these days and, and what it's focusing on. So I could tell you a little bit, a, a little story about Foursquare, but um, I, you know, at the end of the story, we, you might be disappointed, but Foursquare started out as a consumer application company and you would, you know, go around the city or, wherever you live and check into places and tell your friends where you are. And you'd get little rewards for doing that. And when I, I was first hired in 2011, I was working out uh, the recommendation features where it would, you know, kind of recommend good places for you to go. Uh, we have some very sophisticated tech behind that. Um, now we've moved more to being a enterprise uh, software company where we built a bunch of software for these, uh, for these apps, uh, there's some this software that kind of lives in these apps, an SDK called Pilgrim, which sort of takes the information from your phone and translates it to, you know, the location where you are. So it started out being like, okay, can we suggest to people where they are so they don't have to go search for it? And then eventually it's just, you know, maybe people will just want to be, we, we just automatically want to know where people are so we can feed them good recommendations. And then we look for other apps that where it makes sense from a consumer standpoint to have that in. And then we have our location panel. Um, but in terms of, so one of Foursquare's successor apps today is Swarm. And that's where people kind of check in and they get like little coins and little rewards for it. And so you have a count of coins and there's a question, well, what are people going to do with these coins? I mean, all these coins are, are just numbers in a database. And so you can imagine that um, probably as early as 2014, 2015, people were like, let's turn this into a cryptocurrency. Uh, the problem, well, you can trade those coins now, but the problem that uh, 
we had with that was, you know, first of all, uh, we don't have any particular release schedule of these coins. It's kind of like the developers are like, hey, I want to give people a reward for this. It's kind of a gamification thing. I should be able to give out coins. But if we did that in the future, with if it's a cryptocurrency, we're going to have to think, wait a minute, how much money are we giving away? And so it's not about fun anymore. And then another problem uh, is that, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's it's no longer a game. Then, then that means that um, people have incentives to like, you know, spam the system and start, you know, uh, undermining the game mechanics and, you know, trying to you know, figure out what's going to get them the most point coins, uh, not by doing it, but by, you know, I don't know, spoofing their lat long and spoofing their IP address and all that. So, uh, and then, you know, never mind the like tax nightmare and SEC nightmare. So I think we decided uh, regulation nightmare. So I think we decided pretty clearly, you know, this was not a good idea uh, for a gamification aspect. Though, although I think there might be some games out there where a, uh, you know, a cryptoization of their coin might be a good fit, but I, I can't think of any right now. There are huge hurdles to get over. That's really interesting. Um, it seems very similar to uh, this sort of current Web3 paradigm, um, but maybe in the terms of, you know, back in the day, maybe something more like an open value network um, without enough sort of definition. And of course, I could totally see this being open to civil attacks or, you know, uh, attacking in potential TCRs that are maybe built into the um, built into the platform. Um, but I, I guess then the, it would be within its own ecosystem, I guess, if that was to be put in to today's, um, thinking, you know, 10 years later, it sounds like it was a little early. Would you change anything or do you feel like it still would suffer the same problems? You mean if I was starting a Foursquare from scratch today? Um, the swarm or, aspect of it. Or the swarm aspect from scratch today? You know, I don't know. I, I think uh, if I were building an app in 2010, I'd be like, let's build an API and, you know, let's put it out there and then it will grow rapidly and get funding and all that. Uh, that's not the world in 2020. Uh, you know, apps can't just explode uh, like they once did, or at least I haven't heard of one for many years. It's a very saturated market. Um, I think that today uh, it's a good idea to think in terms of security first, and it's a good idea to think in terms of, um, I don't know, how could you know anti-spam uh, to sort of like build into the system? Like what can someone, what can go wrong? I mean, I guess... Uh, I guess there's still a sense of, in terms of the team that I'm in now, uh, maybe, maybe I contradict what I just said a little bit because, you know, we like to put out stuff for fun and see what people are, are, are doing with it. But I feel like today there's so much more, it's so much more exciting to say, okay, I'm going to work on a decentralized project, um, whether it's like Bitcoin or using the Ethereum channel and somehow, uh, you know, somehow making use of the decentralized architecture is so much more interesting than the just usual kind of database and app that we have now. But I, I, 
I, I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm all over the place. Help me out a little bit here. You feel that maybe it was a it was a user problem in that um, there wasn't enough, say, uh, people using it, creating a, enough liquidity to actually keep these kind of economic systems afloat in um, in a walled off ecosystem. Um, right. I mean, the question is, like, it, 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 it is a game. Um, is a game really an economic system or is it something, or is it kind of like a, a, a simulation of an economic system, you know, because if once it becomes for real money, uh, it sort of changes it. It sort of pushes it into the economic realm. And then uh, you have, all, now it's not just about playing the game and enjoying the game. Now, then it becomes about making money and that changes the whole, the whole aspect of it. I wish we could give rewards for like, you know, a, a big part of Foursquare at that time, it's still a part of it, although now we take data from lots of different um, sources. But it, it was, you know, about building the venue database, getting, you know, lots of, uh, you know, making sure that we have all of the information and all the businesses and locations in the city. And that's largely crowdsourced. Um, it would be good if we can give people rewards for getting, um you know, for getting, giving accurate information. Um, but then again, you know, how, how do you decide what's accurate? And, and it's how, hard if it's tangible. If it's not yeah. tangible. How do yeah, you, yeah. It's, you know? it, and it's usually something that very few people can check. Like if there's some obscure uh, landmark in a park and I say it's there, um, there are very few people who can check that or it would be very costly to, to check that. So we usually wouldn't. So then there's... Yeah, theoretical problem basically yeah that we deal with here yeah what I was hearing is like you know you talked about not wanting to make it about money uh, but but you do have like some kind of in-game currency or reward system and like what what, sort, what sort of makes me think is like well yeah but people are playing like they're 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 not maybe they're playing for like whatever like gems or whatever they're playing for Right. It's it's still basically about some kind of strange abstract reward. Um, right. And and since they're helping you, like since they're helping you build this database, should you not like want to in- incentivize them uh, and actually reward them for that in a way that can be brought into the real world? Oh yeah, yeah. I I would want that, and I I think it would be a tough problem to design that. Like. I do think about this sometimes, like how could you design a crowdsourced database where people are financially incentivized to provide the truth, to provide good information, and maybe, um, you know, somehow we can, um, you know, you could get paid a lot if it's important information or if it's like, you know, uh, information that other people are trying to undermine or and you maybe don't get paid a lot if you're giving us information that uh, nobody's going to want. Um, but when you design that sort of thing, there are a lot of, uh, like every time you have some kind of design, uh, then you jump to the other side and you think about, okay, how can I exploit this to make the most money possible? And oftentimes the answer is, um, doing something that you don't want done with your database. So I think to design something like that, um, you'd have to really sit down and really think carefully about how you're going to do it to unlock that value. I mean, you know, the Bitcoin itself 
the blockchain itself uh, at that 10 page paper uh, does it for money uh, exactly right. And it's worked, but it it's, it's not an easy problem to carry over to other domains. Do you think it's hard when you even take the assumption that markets and everything is ultimately absurd and, and anyone is, is ultimately able to probably do um, many things or is, or does it, or does that make it, does that not change the design problem? Well, I'm, I'm sorry. What do you mean about markets? Absurdity? Like if, if there, if there's many built in incentives in a reward structure and ultimately someone is always going to find a way to exploit it. Right. Um, and you don't want someone doing that with your database is, is, is that the problem or is it the problem that, um, that it's always really hard to assume how people are going to think when they enter into a system? Uh, well, no, I think it's always a, a good assumption that you're going to have crazy spammers and you're going to have people who like, you know, attack your system. But it's, um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a primarily a question of the economic incentives. Um, but yeah, and we're going away again to now like a sort of crowdsource database versus a game. Those are like two different things. Uh, but, um, but yeah, when you t- come to the crowdsource database, I, I think it, it is a matter of incentives. And I think that anything that could go wrong will. I mean, Murphy's Law applies. Uh, you know, we've seen some spam in our systems that it's like no one can explain why someone is doing this. Uh, and, and we still don't understand why someone is doing this, uh, this crazy thing. And it's just people, I mean... That's the beauty of permissionless innovation, uh, but it's it's something that's going to happen. And if you have a centralized system, uh, in particular, you have to uh, you know you have to be careful of that. Yeah, you mentioned um, sort of game and this and incentives within games, and you see a lot in well, video games, loot crates and that sort of stuff. And I guess one of my problems with it is not that it's an interesting sort of um, rate limited. Um, token mechanism, essentially, right? Um, an incentive mechanism is that it's very hard to exit the system with the value that which you take and then put back into the system. So you can't. It, it, there's. It's almost like there's no um, reason to to you know have uh, that value that works in your in your everyday life. And maybe that is is one of the fundamental flaws. So- so it's walled off. Like you can't, um, most games you can't walk away and be like, I play maybe with online poker, you can, but, but for some game you can't walk away and say, Hey, I made a thousand dollars today. I'm going to, I'm going to take that out. You know, for most games, that's not the reason why people are playing it. But if you could, then people would start turning that into their careers. I, uh, yeah. And um, one thing I, I just want to quickly mention is interesting how when online video poker started to come about, there was this new game style that started because everyone's just getting all these like tokens and they just like put it all um, on their first hand. And then when you actually play real poker, people don't play like that, except you did see a period of time where people were bringing that style of play onto the tables. And then now it's sort of fallen out of favor again. Interesting. Interesting. So Max, uh, like where would you, where do you think that we should take this? Uh, Like, like, 
you know, you've got a, a, the huge following of the hashing it out podcast. Um, that was kind of a joke. I actually don't even know what the numbers are. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know you it's took that so seriously. It's like yeah. they go up and down and I don't know who's yeah. listening, but, um, yeah, I, knows. But, but so you have a, like a captive crypto focus audience here. Uh, like what, what do you think that we should talk to you about um, that uh, would be most interesting to them? Um, well, l- let's talk about uh, maybe we could talk about a little bit about, you know, my coverage of um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency on, on the local maximum on the podcast. Uh, there was one episode that I did last year that, was particularly interesting. I was proud of it. It was kind of hard to follow, but uh, I, I was sort of proud of myself for diving into the numbers where there was like this this meme or argument going around that uh, all the cryptocurrency mining is going to take over all the energy in the world by this year or whatever. And I, at first I thought that was ridiculous. And I, now I Definitely think that's ridiculous, but uh, I wanted to kind of look into it a little bit because people were actually believing this. Um, and so I covered that on the show, but basically what I did, I, I, I sort of said, okay, you know, you have these block rewards and basically no one is going to invest more into mining than the block rewards themselves. So I said, all right, how much are the block rewards? And what if the cryptocurrency markets get to this enormous price that, you know, the highest price that anyone's ever predicted? Um, And then I worked backward from there and said, okay, that wouldn't be that bad. That would increase energy consumption around the world by one or 2%, uh, which is a lot, but then you'll just have a halvening after four years and then that'll cut in half and then another halvening after four years and that'll cut in half again. So... Um, so yeah, I, I, I felt like I sort of put that argument to rest with that episode. Uh, so that was a fun one to do. What was um, the, the highest possible value you were working with? To- so that's an interesting one. I used one, I think it was Hal Finney said in 2010 that the, uh, if Bitcoin takes over the world, it's $10 million. And my, my biggest assumption was that, and, and let's say, I don't know, it's, it's, Let's say that 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 also includes all of crypto. Okay, um, so I I sort of used that number and I said, okay, let's say it's that number in 2030, you know, in 10 years from now. Uh, and then that was the case where energy consumption, if assuming that like people use the entire block reward on energy consumption, which is also a very dubious argument, people are going to invest a lot less because there's so much risk there and you know, maybe a few people will invest more than they should, but I don't, you know, it's, it, 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 if it does, it can't go on for much for like too long. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I use that and then I use 2030 as the, as the year. I mean, that would be great. That would mean that in 10 years, uh, crypto will have taken over the world. Uh, or I don't know if that would be great or if that would mean that the world is in a very <laughs> entered a very dire state at some point in the next few years, which doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility either. But anyway, if that happened, yeah, energy consumption on that would increase one or two percent over current global energy consumption. But then once you have the halving, it'll be, you know, a, a half a percent and then 
so on and so forth. So it would be a very temporary situation. Um, an another thing that we could talk about, and I I'm a little bit um, uh, jumping around a little bit here, but I want to talk about the app that we're working on at Foursquare right now that we're going to put out you know, in the next few weeks um, because uh, it's not really crypto related, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited about it because uh, I've been working on it for a year and really we had it ready to go in March and then the world got shut down and we couldn't launch it. And that was called, uh, it, it's called MarsBot for, MarsBot Audio, or I think we're going to call it MarsBot for AirPods. And basically we saw everyone walking around the city with their AirPods in, and we can tell when someone walk, walks past a particular storefront. And the idea was, you know, let's play some audio when people walk by different locations. And so the thing that I'm excited about, and I'm even excited about the spam here, is you're going to be able to record audio, and then everybody else with the app is going to be able to hear that audio as they walk past a particular location. So there's going to be a lot of you know, city tours and kind so of- So I just, I just hand over, I just say, hey, hey, iPhone, I just want to, I want you to play whatever, like, whatever- some like this, this business owner wants me to hear as I'm walking uh, around. Town. Well, I mean, when we first put it out, it's only going to be a few hundred people using it. So it'll essentially be everyone. Like you'll get really excited when you hear someone's thing because it's going to be a very rare occurrence uh, to start out. But, uh, and it wouldn't be the business owner. It'll just be like, you know, anyone. And I think what we're going to do if it gets to be too big of a group is, you know, you'll have to subscribe to certain people's channels, just like YouTube channels, where it's like, hey, you want to subscribe to my commentary on each individual tree in the park? I mean, that's what I did to test out here in Fort Greene Park. I did a little commentary on individual trees, and I sort of was getting started to get snarky about it. I was like, you're at another tree again. And, uh, you know, so um, you can kind of decide which types of content you you'd want to hear. I think people are going to do interesting things with that in terms of like both uh, city walking tours and also maybe, I don't know, I feel like somebody could do something cool with like sound effects or, you know, well, well, you're so hearing let, let like me, historical speeches and yeah. stuff as you walk by certain, certain places where those speeches were delivered. That would be super cool. Like what I, what I, uh, so when earlier when I asked like, you know, what could force greater with crypto, my like, my sort of like the answer I was the right answer that you missed, but now you've got it is uh, non fungible tokens. So like what I, what I want to do is I want to be able to buy the corner uh, of some, uh, some street or like the middle of a park on the blockchain and, and whoever owns, owns that non fungible token representing the middle of this park. Uh, they get to like set the, the snippet that everybody has to listen to when they go there. Um, I, I think like that, that seems like when I hear like the whole geolocation thing and non-fungibles really come to mind. Um, interaction. Yeah. It, I don't, it, yeah, that's probably a, that's a good idea, silly, but, but I'd like to see you guys try it. Yeah. Uh, the problem is every time we, we look into it, it always seems like, you know, just implementing it in our database as we normally would is a better solution than having, uh, you know, working in the crypto space, which is disappointing yeah. for me as someone who's interested in the crypto space. But I feel like if I were to do something in terms of geolocation, it, it would have to be um, probably separate from, from Foursquare, but we'll see. I mean, one interesting problem, a technical problem that is 
I think it's kind of solved, but it's very complicated. Is like proof of location. It's a very complicated problem to solve. Like, can you prove that you're actually at a location? Because we've had we've we've gone through down the rabbit hole of, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll post a um, you know, we'll we'll post a QR code at different places. Well, what's going to stop me from taking a picture? Yeah, location is extremely hard because anything real world trying to attest to you know, some sort of database, much less blockchain, um, still requires some sort of uh, transfer or or some sort of uh, sensor network. But, you know, you have to assume you have, there has to be a reliability of, its, of it being uh, correct. Maybe, you know, maybe we need to bring back um, uh, reputation systems here. But there, that, that, that is a, a hard problem. And I mean, I guess Foursquare these days is more of a data provider, so I could see it, it being useful. But then, um, you know, I guess is is the goal to then try and build a bunch of little apps that incentivize the sort of game mechanics to ultimately um, provide the, these sort of sorts of data. But how do you then um, attest to its correctness? Yeah, I mean, well, look, we could let's talk about like location. Uh, you know, location technology in general, because I don't know if this is the direction that Foursquare is going to go down, and I don't have that much influence. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the proof of location, one thing I want to say about proof of location, uh, and then I want to get back to your question, is just that, you know, anything that you come up with uh, is, you, you can always just figure out a way to, like, you know, move it to another location. You almost have to get a code at that location and then send it out immediately and sort of prove that, okay, I, I only could have generated this code from, you know, these devices that are external because they came at me at the speed of light. And then I, you know, transferred them out at the speed of light. It's, it's, it's some crazy, uh, crazy stuff. Unless there's some like, you know, uh, 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 ingenious, you know, plans to do proof of location that, uh, that, uh, that, that we're missing, but it's, it's, it's very difficult. And then back to your question. Sorry. What was the last thing that you said? I mean, I was just commenting that it, that it's a very uh, hard problem, you know, and if we think of this as a sort of data potentially going onto um, blockchains, you know, that in itself is, is like, okay, bringing back to what we talked about earlier about um, uh, Bitcoin and mining rewards versus fee market. Well, well, all this data doesn't necessarily make sense if you're trying to um, have some sort of, even if you want, um, uh, um, even if you want provable or mo mostly provable location data, um, then okay, you, you can secure it on on some sort of blockchain, but then that's tons of data. Um, I guess you know it kind of it leads me to a question of. From what we were talking about before, how do you see uh, layer two potentially eating up the fee market on on Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, so uh, we're talking, I assume, primarily about the Lightning, uh, Lightning uh, network here. Network. Um, yeah, any, uh, but there are others. Any um, call? Yeah, or yeah, or even just a side chain thing like that. I mean, that was another question about that I got about um, you know about Bitcoin mining eating up the world where they're like, well, you're only using the blockchain rewards for to decide how much miners are going to pay. But 
there's also the uh, you know there's also the transaction fee, and so the miners are going to be working for the transaction fee as well. And I'm like, yes, but the transaction fee, somebody is actually going to have to be willing to pay that transaction fee to make their transaction. And I don't think that people are going to be willing to pay uh, trillions of dollars in aggregate to do transactions because there are so many solutions. Um, so then and, that pushes that pushes those, those transactions to layer two. Right. So it eats up the fee market, which then is, is downward pressure um, on on miners' rewards, um, if right. there's now if there's already the block award is so hard, to, the difficulty is so hard that that's already downward pressure on the miners themselves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the the block reward is still uh, is still significant. I mean, still you know m- most of what they're working for is the block reward now, I believe. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think that. It, there'll be times when transaction fees are very low and people are just going to go on chain as much as possible. And then there'll be uh, times when transaction fees are very high and people are going to work on off chain technology. I think it'll just be like kind of the price of gas. You know, if uh, the price of gas is high, maybe people will buy more efficient cars. They'll, they'll take less rides and things like that, or, you know, use less energy or, and if it's more then people use more energy. And so I just, I, I think that, um, you know, people have, it's sort of a slow moving technology. And by, by layer two, like off, off chain transaction, that could mean a number of different things that could mean like the, the development of a lightning network. It could just mean, you know, um, uh, take something like Coinbase, for example, where if you send a cryptocurrency to someone else on Coinbase, they don't necessarily have to do an on chain transaction for that, uh, which is, you know, from a purist standpoint, not how you're supposed to use cryptocurrency, but uh, that's what people would do. But that's yeah. further downward pressure on on them the um, on uh, the the fees itself. I mean, I think there's also going yeah. to be enough um, transactions to satisfy miners. But I think that you know, in my opinion, I actually don't think we really know what's going to happen. Um, I think there's gonna, there's a lot more factors that we're missing, and I think taking a purely Austrian economics view, in my opinion, other people on the show uh, who listen, other listeners will probably have a different opinion than me. Um, that is sort of one of the undoing aspects of it. But that's not to say that the, these sort of Austrian economic models don't have place in a, in a larger system. But anyway, just my take. I do think layer two is, is very important. I think there's going to be ebbs and flows of it. And yes, I think it's, it's inevitable but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it's the lightning network. I don't know if it's some confederation of side chains. I don't know if it's, um, you know, some centralized system, like a bunch of coin bases. I mean, I guess I hope not, although I have used it in that way, but uh, it could be, could be anything. Um, to, sh- to shift a little bit, uh, Max, your, your podcast, uh, the, what, the local maximum is about machine learning and AI, right? Yeah, I, I cover machine learning and AI a lot, uh, but more generally, I mean, look, if I'm going to do a podcast every week, I'm basically like, let me just talk about whatever I'm interested in that week. Because yeah. otherwise, what's the point? You know, what's the point of having a podcast? So I've branched out quite a bit. I started by kind of just interviewing friends of mine at work that are working on cool projects and 
asking them about it. And then I've branched out from there to talk about all sorts of, you know, topics in emerging technology, what's going on in the news. And I sort of, I try to bring machine learning concepts into it uh, from time to time, including the local maximum. But a good example is like, um, you know, one concept that we have is underfitting and overfitting. And it's like, well, what's, what's an example of an underfitting person versus an overfitting person? You know, an overfitting person is always going after the latest fad. And whoever the last person spoke to them, uh, they're 100% on board with the last person they spoke to. And an underfitting person just is totally stuck in their ways and never changes their mind with new information. And so that's sort of the wisdom that we get from teaching machines. And that's uh, also uh, a concept that you could use to kind of talk about teaching people as well. And so I'm really interested in those types of topics and, uh, and, and we try to explore them a little bit as well. Yeah, I like that. I like that underfitting, overfitting thing. It's totally a, a real world um, useful mental model. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, thinking about like, you know, blockchains as being just large data sets um, I'm curious what you think the, 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 the biggest opportunities are uh, at the intersection of machine learning and blockchains. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, uh, the, the pessimistic one kind of scares me, which is, you know, are people going to use machine learning and statistical systems to sort of uh, undo the privacy um, the, the privacy features of the of, of the cryptocurrency universe. Yes, the uh, answer is yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and to what extent will they be successful? Um, there will also be people who try to uh, you know get around that as well. So that's I don't know. I'm a little concerned about that. I probably won't work on that personally, uh, <laughs> but um, I think there's mm, a lot of I. I'm trying to think of some more positive things that, that, that can be done. I mean, you know, certainly uh, in terms of routing transactions uh, and, and this is getting into like the, the very um, low level technical stuff of it. But again, like let's say I have a blockchain wallet and I want to do a transaction and I want to figure out what's the cheapest way of doing it. Well, I mean, you could have a simple algorithm that maybe compares several ways, but if that space of ways of transacting becomes, well, you know, it's each way is probabilistic. I don't know how much it's going to cost. And there are uh, hundreds of thousands of different ways I can go here. You could build an algorithm that is statistical in nature that could on average get you the, the lowest cost transaction or the fastest transaction. Um, so that's another idea. Um, could you build uh, an interesting question is, you know, could you build a statistical algorithm or like an, or, or a machine learning algorithm into the blockchain itself, into the Ethereum blockchain? And I know people have tried, um, but what are the applications of that, uh, is I still am, I'm, I'm at a loss there, but I feel like something, something cool has got to come out of that. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm a bit with you there. It's hard to think of like what the what the cool stuff is. Um, mostly, I just think of like hypercharged trading models and uh, better arbitrage bots. Um, but that's yeah, kind of boring. I've seen some like uh, 
So uh, uh, one episode, I had a, a friend of mine, uh, Dan Cronovet, on the show, and he talked about uh, some of the stuff that he was working on at his company. And one was like a kind of a, a, a budget setting algorithm where people would vote on where to allocate the budget and it would actually run some statistical algorithm over that and then automatically allocate the budget based on those votes. Um, I don't have enough background right now to like explain how that happens. It's not as simple as like adding up the votes. There's some like, you know, game theory and social choice theory involved. Uh, but that seemed pretty cool. Thanks. I wonder like, is, I'm, I'm always, I sort of wonder if there's like some way that the design space can include, like can enable scaling such that, uh, well, so, so one way to put it can like, like, this is this is I'm super naive about machine learning, but are, you know, is it possible for machine learning uh, algorithms to be executed in a deterministic fashion um, so that they could perhaps be at least like verified on chain? Uh, so in other words, yes. So there are some algorithms that involve random number generators, and there are some that don't. Uh, the ones that do, though, you could always set the seed of the random number generator. And so it's sort of deterministic um, which numbers are going to pop out. Uh, and so you're saying have someone run some algorithm. Let's just say it's like logistic regression or someone gets some parameters off offline and then um, publishes them to the blockchain. But it needs to be confirmed that those are the parameters that you actually get uh, when you execute the algorithm. I suppose you could do that. I, I don't see what the application is though right now. This is one area where I am I'm disappointed in myself right now. I'm like, I'm lacking the, the creativity and the vision to come up with one, but I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. Here, I, I, got, I actually like something I thought about earlier. Um, so Jay and I actually, we both work in, in security, which you know is, you know, you brought the DAO at the beginning. Um, yeah. And so, you know, finding and, and stamping out bugs is, is what we think about a lot. Um, and, and there's also, we've seen people recently like playing around with uh, GPT-3 uh, and actually getting it to write like, or identify some, some super simple bugs in, in boring smart contracts, it, you know, kind of like play toy contracts with set up just for learning. Um, do you, do you know anything about, you know, like uh, security analysis using that's been done using existing machine learning uh, techniques or? Uh, no, very little. That's a little outside my my area. But I, I do have a question for you. So you, you've looked at the DAO. And so do you think that do you think that in the future, uh, these types of, you know, massively multiplayer smart contracts are going to be a thing. And this is just kind of a, a blip where it's like, yeah, you have to be really careful about how you write that. Or do you think they're just unworkable? Uh, I mean, go ahead. I mean, I think we both have different answers, but I think it depends on a, how you look at massively multiplayer. Um, and, you know, I think on aggregate, there's going to be a lot more of these used. Um, and I mean, how you define a DAO is, is 
dependent right now it's being defined as a funding mechanism but that's not necessarily what it's always um meant to be um i think there's going to be a lot of these little sort of micro economies that output something that's generally universally usable that has some sort of um intrinsic wish to participate in i think right now we're seeing a lot of that in these defi systems and we're seeing a lot of that in um very interesting uh economic games i just i think we're still a little wide ways off to finding like where those really take hold but i guess the short answer is yes but the long answer is wow there are so um many vulnerabilities that that are that get messed like, it's almost like you have to see a whole new standard of like you know rigorous code testing that is largely unheard of <laughs> from today's software developers yeah absolutely i mean like those those techniques and methodologies are out there like something i used to sure. hear get batted around more is you know people would start writing smart contracts and they would say oh you know like this is this is mission critical we have to like be like nasa uh but then they just start lobbing stuff at the wall and and kind of like uh freewheeling yeah. writing smart contracts maybe writing tests later not not really testing the whole thing testing the happy paths um so it feels to me like it's i think it's absolutely possible uh within the right constraints you know keeping your your contract simple uh using verification methodologies and um you know we recently talked to uh, Ethan from Informal Systems, who's, who's actually pioneering uh, techniques called uh, verification-driven development. Um, for, so, form of ver verification and, and other like you know fuzzing and symbolic execution and static analysis tools. Like, I think the space is really really pushing that stuff forward because of the incentives. Uh, but even as as like the security community is creating those things. Uh, we feel like we're sort of, uh, well, like shouting into a, a void kind of. Um, and, and to me, it feels like it, it's not a technology problem at all, really. It's, it's a cultural thing. Um, and the, sp the space is full of, like it's early adopters who are excited about things. People probably were working at startups uh, five years ago, um, yeah. move fast and break things. And it's, and shifting that mindset is, is really, really hard especially when you are effectively operating a startup and, and your CEO has some cool feature ideas that he'd like to see out in the next two weeks. Like these are yeah. airplanes, right? These are not, you know, airplanes that hold many people. Like these are not um, just like a, a, a little um, meetup spot. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally identify with that because my sort of, um, my sort of go-to... Uh, well, like you know, in the in the in the group I'm in now is to move fast and break things. I like just throwing things up and seeing it work and and keep going. And that's that's the way that I like to work. But I know that if um, if I'm working on something and something goes wrong and like a hundred million dollars goes missing, I know that I'm not gonna. I'm, I would decline to work on that. <laughs> I would either have someone else do it, or I would be able to change my 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 methodology a little bit and sort of figure it, figure out a way where I can fit in um, 
while while doing that or find some section of it that um that 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 I can work on that's that's maybe less mission critical but um i I see why developers get into that that mindset of you know just throwing things up or, or it's not just developers, it's not just engineers, it's the whole startup mindset, which works in a lot of situations, but it could be, uh, it, it could be very scary or very dangerous in, in situations like decentralized uh, organizations. Certainly. And, um, you know, I think we need to remember is decentralized organizations and decentralized interaction is something that a lot of people are really not used to, right? It really does take a person's ability to see something's amiss and and pitch in in a way that, that is potentially useful and productive. Um, and one hopes that the growth of this whole thing is an underlying incentive to do so, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, and then you t- you layer on top of that this sort of startup um, culture and startup mentality. And it, it has a recipe for potentially leaving a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd have to agree. Well, I think uh, that's probably a good place to, to tie things up. Um, thanks so much for talking to us today, Max. Where can people uh, find out more about you and, and follow you? Thanks. Yeah. Well, uh, definitely subscribe to the podcast. It's the look called the local maximum. And, uh, you could even go to the website, localmaxradio.com and get the entire archive, or you could just go to your podcast app. And basically every week I try to either talk to someone interesting and entertain you a little bit and make you smarter. So that's my goal. And, uh, we learn about emerging technology. We learn about crypto in some cases and, um, you know, you learn a little bit about machine learning. And so we have a great time. And, uh, you know, that's, that's basically what I'd like people to check out. I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. It's very easy to find me. Thanks for coming Excellent. on the show. Thank you so much for having me.